Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Pixel Sift is proudly supported by Murdoch University School of Arts. Do you want to learn how to make your own Twitch channel, podcast, or and outclass the competition? Well, the skills you learn in a creative degree in games, sound, film, journalism, or journalism will put you in a class of your own. Have a look at murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts to learn more about what they've got on offer. That's murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts, or you can search Murdoch University for more information. Murdoch University School of Arts proudly supporting Pixel Civ. And if you want to come down and actually have a look at the campus, uh, we do have, there's an open day this weekend. I believe it is on Sunday, the 28th. All right, let's get stuck into it. Pixel Civ. Hello and welcome to Pixel Civ, the show dedicated to indie games from around Australia and the world. My name is Mitch and joining me tonight is my co-host Sarah. How are you going? Good, thank you. And uh, tonight we have Paul Jakovic joining us. He is um, he is joining us from Panda Arcade in Melbourne and he'll be talking about his latest project, Pico Tanks. Hello, Paul. Hi, Mitch. Thanks for having me on. No hey, more. Sarah. Thanks for, having, thanks for joining us. And uh, But first of all, what else are we talking about, Sarah? So today we're going to be talking about the Interactive Games and Entertainment Association, uh, IGEA. They just released their 2020 Digital Australia report on the power of games. So we're going to be taking a closer look at the report's findings tonight. Excellent. All right, let's get started. Cool. Visit us on pixelsift.com.au. So recently, the Interactive Games and Entertainment Association, or IGEA for short, just released their Digital Australia 2020 report. So this year, the report is about the power of games, and it delves into the normalization of video games in Australian culture and how Australians are engaging with video games to entertain, transform, connect, educate, and more. And it's pretty cool. So it's the um, the culmination of over 15 years of research on how, why, and by whom video games are played in Australia. And this year, we had some pretty interesting results. Yeah, so what one of the main things that like uh, so this is the eighth study of the um of the uh research that began in in uh twenty um in two thousand and five. And I I think it's great that like two out of like two out of three Australians play video games, which is great. And uh nine out of ten homes have a device for playing video games, which I don't know how much of that counts as like a Wii that's sitting under a sitting under a TV gathering dust. But um, more importantly, um, twenty um, so 21% of households own a virtual reality, he- reality headset. Did you, did you think that was the case, Sarah? I thought it would be way less than that. 
I, I would assume it would have been way less, especially. But uh, it's very interesting to see, I guess, as the the rise of headsets such as like the PSVR and, and stuff come into play, I feel like they're becoming more of like a commonly bought, you know, Christmas gift and such for the family because a lot of people have home consoles, obviously, potentially more than like they have a home computer that the whole family shares. So having like a PSVR set, I feel like is becoming more convenient and kind of easy to set up, especially because like as the technology evolves and more competitors kind of rise up and more options become cheaper, like Oculus Quest, I'm pretty sure is like a like a lower scale on price VR set. So I thought that was pretty, pretty, pretty cool. Because, you know, previously, I'm sure like, you know, the numbers were a lot less, especially when VR first came onto the market. So that's particularly exciting. I also thought it was really interesting that the average age for video game players is 34 years in Australia, 34 years old, which is interesting because I would have assumed it would have been um, a decent amount younger. But I believe this report showed that a lot more older Australians are playing games. I believe um, there was a, a much larger percent um, than previous years. It's relatively small by comparison, but um, a lot more older people uh, in like over 50 years old are playing more games nowadays. I think um, there's a couple of people in their 70s, 80s and 90s that were even playing games, which I think is fantastic. Very I've big change in the past. I've always found that like, I, I always thought like an aging population, I've always found... I always thought that would would take to video games rather well because if you have if you have trouble moving and you're not so active anymore but you still want to engage in in an activity other than bingo I mean games is a great way to to kind of get get an avenue and like and as as social as they are I think it's a a great way to connect with like let's say your grandkids or your or or your kids and maybe just pl- play some games together I one, a friend of mine used to his, um, his dad used to be a pilot um, that that flew that that uh, flew internationally, and he would have a PS3 with him, and he would plug it into the TV whenever he could, and they could and they could spend time together um, without being in the same country, which I thought was fantastic. Um, Absolutely, a, a particular stat that might interest you, Paul, is seventy uh, percent of mobile seventy fo- percent of gamers um, use mobile phones for playing games. What do you think of that? Yeah, I was actually, well, it's good news for me since uh, our game is a mobile game. I guess it was kind of interesting um, how, you know, as the years go on more and more, um, people are going to be playing um, games on their mobile devices. Like at the moment, the older generations, um, I mean, they are, according to this report, playing mobile games, but not the really old generations, like 70-year-olds, 80-year-olds. I'm sure some of them are, but not a high percentage. But it'll be interesting to see in 30 years' time, you know, what the old people at the retirement homes are doing. You know, they won't be playing chess or bridge or whatever they play. Um, they'll probably be, you know, sitting in the corner playing on their on their phone or sitting in front of a console with their friends. It'll be really interesting. I think we. I'll oh, go ahead. Sarah. Sorry, I was just going to say. Um, one, uh, the report had a few quotes from um, from gamers around Australia, and one of them was from a um, a lady who was seventy three who lives in Victoria, and she said, "As I am aging, I feel the need to keep my mind active, and by playing games on my phone or my tablet, I have the luxury of choosing when, where, and for how long." So I think that kind of um, it goes to show. I think as as the games lose their stigma. And more and more games come out that can be educational or beneficial for, you know, I guess the, the health of the mind and body. I think that kind of has helped to break down the barriers that a lot of, I guess, older generation people feel 
that might have been previously against games and with the rise of mobile gaming and the convenience of having a smartphone where you can just easily download games, I'm sure it's made it a lot easier for people to kind of find something that they like and pick it up and go, oh, this is actually really, really cool. This isn't bad at all, you know, because I definitely know my parents have always had a very negative view of games, unfortunately, but I think they're kind of coming around as time goes by. Yeah, my parents um, were definitely the same as a child, you know, spend hours playing Sonic the Hedgehog in front of the TV. But now I make a, a living out of it. So, yeah, their views have kind of changed. I think, like, the this one of the main things that this report tells us is that, yeah, absolutely, that, that stigma is kind of going away. And... Um, I think I, I got a, I got a uh, comment from uh, Barnsey on from the uh, from the Perth Twitch page, and I'll just paraphrase uh, the end uh, the end of their uh, quote here because the uh, they said especially when taking into account the whole new level of acceptance games have in public, uh, since it's so common these days to see people playing handheld or gaming on their phone. Uh, while they wait in line for public transport. Um, So in the past where I might have been hesitant to pull out my DS or similar, I now proudly play my Switch anywhere and everywhere. I feel like, I I feel like, um, if I can be buggered lugging it around. (laughs) So I think like that, that is one of the main points of this entire, of this entire, um, of this study. Um, But I think the power of community is also something they, um, is something that they're holding into um, kind of a, um, a higher esteem because um, over one in three have watched esports and um, and these things like are bringing people together in in live events as well. Sarah, you've been to a couple of like live events on esports. How, have you found have you found those compared to let's Absolutely. say other live events? I mean, the the range of people there was what was the biggest kicker. I went to Melbourne Esports Open and I interviewed some of the people that were attending of various different, you know, ages and just kind of general background demographics. And the biggest thing was like people were just there enjoying their favourite sport, much like you go to your local footy game or whatever have you. But the biggest thing is there was a lot of parents there that were there to support their kids that I think, you know, they kind of understood a bit more like why it's so special because when they're sitting down in a big theatre, and this is what two dads told me, when they're sitting down in this big theatre watching it on the big screen, it's it it makes a lot more sense as to as to why there's an appeal to it and why their their kids are so, you know, enamored with the whole scene. What do you think, Paul, as a game developer, about like the the results of this report and all the interesting information that's come out of it about you know the amount of people that are playing games and and how many people, more people are engaging with games in Australia in particular? Um, I guess I mean for one, it's just really exciting. Um, I mean, it's kind of what it's reinstating what we already knew. I mean, you go do something like PAX and you just see the huge variety of people that turn up. Um, and we all know that our elder siblings and parents spend hours playing Candy Crush and stuff like that. So I got to admit, um, not a lot of the data was surprising, um, but it, I think it's it's very exciting for the game industry in general to see, you know, a study like this proving um, to the rest of the world, well, and you know. Um, people who didn't think the game industry was such a big thing that, you know, it is. People are playing games um, of all demographics. And, yeah, it's just, it's exciting as a game developer. 
So uh, thanks for watching Pixel Sift, uh, your indie uh, in your indie interview indie gaming interview podcast live on Twitch. Um, if you've just tuned in, we're talking about the Interactive Games and Entertainment Association's new report on the power of games, uh, the uh, digital uh, the DA twenty. Uh, if you're not familiar, um, so. Also, this, this report goes into the power of living well, and they say that 85% say video games can help thinking skills, 74% say video games can help emotional well-being. Um, what, do you, what do you think of that, Sarah? I mean, I've certainly, I guess, experienced that personally, especially because um, a lot of the time I, I use games to engage in social situations. A lot of my friends are scattered around the country. So for me, games is a, is a very social experience. But with that kind of, you know, I feel like comes the, the mental benefit potentially of engaging with, with strangers in a, in a more comfortable and like, I guess, arm's length environment. Even just you know um, learning how to how to work with other players without necessarily speaking to them, I think has had uh, is both a very engaging and fun thing to do, but also I think it helps you know uh, it's helped teach me inherently over time like how to better uh, I guess nonverbally communicate, how to effectively you know like watch other people and see what they're doing and kind of adapt to their style or to kind of pick up oh they want to try this they're going to go for this I'll I'll pick this character and that'll help you know that'll gel well with them and moving on like that. So I definitely think, you know, uh, I've, I mean, I've played games all my life, especially more recently as it's become more of a social thing. That's definitely really, really helps me kind of just cope with elements of my life, but also just, you know, just to relax and have fun with friends. Is this something that has really like inspired you as a game developer, Paul? Like, you know, what, what was kind of, I guess, was community and like the fun that you've experienced with games a driving force behind making games? Um. Not hugely. Um, I do love the idea of team games. Um, I don't really enjoy playing single-player experiences anywhere near as much as a multiplayer game. Um, and it's, yeah, and even more so cooperative games. Like, I've never had more fun than I did playing, like, Halo 3 or 2 cooperatively with a bunch of friends. Um, so, it's yeah. Man, Sarah, you I and mean, I are really excited about Halo coming back, aren't we? I'm very excited about Halo. <laughs> um, I got, a, I got. I was a, a little bit disappointed with the last one. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I've got a question from Apivorous in the chat. Um. He's asking. Um. Paul, is is the concrete data um, really validating or exciting for you? Um. As someone in the uh, development development scene. Yeah. I mean, we see numbers. Um. Of you know the number of people playing mobile games getting bigger and bigger every year and also numbers about, you know, total revenue made by Apple and Google just going up every year. Um, I mean, I, we kind of make games because it's fun. Um, if I wanted to make lots of money, I'd probably be doing something else. Uh, but, you know, it's good to see that, you know, more people are playing, which means we can make a living out of making games, which is fun. Um, so, all right. So we'll touch on one more, one more um, part of the um, a report that I thought was interesting, and that that ties in very well with your last statement, Paul. Um, so, three out of four adults believe making video games in Australia uh, benefits the economy, um, and uh, video game uh, and fifteen uh, percent in twenty. Oh, sorry. Let me rephrase that. Video game sales in Australia grew at the rate of fifteen percent in twenty thirteen and twenty eighteen. The Australian video games retail industry sales in 2013 were 2.4 billion, and we've only come further since then. What do you think of that, Paul? 
Um, I guess, you know, same sort of answer. It's just, you know, exciting to see the Australian game industry just booming, basically. Um, yeah. So, um, okay, so we'll definitely move on to our next topic because I I can't wait to talk about Pico Tanks. Um, if you'd like to find out more about this uh, about this article and report, uh, we'll have it in uh, the description of the episode. All right, we'll catch you soon. Hey there! If you're enjoying the show and you want to hear more, subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, or listen on pixelsift.com.au. See you there. So tonight we're talking to Paul Jakovich from Panda Arcade to talk about his game Pico Tanks. So for those of us that aren't in the know and for those of us who might be watching on Twitch, Paul, what is Pico Tanks? Okay, so Pico Tanks is a fast-paced 3v3 tank brawler with a strong focus on team strategy. Um, you design your own tank with tons of co- customization options like uh, tank bases, weapons, abilities, and also cosmetic skins and toppers like hats and things like that um, and then you battle it out in across multiple maps in lots of different game modes and i guess one thing we're trying to do that a lot of other mobile games don't do is they're really encouraging team play we want it to be a positive experience so we're reinforcing all the good things that you do and trying to hide all the bad things that you do and other players do and yeah just trying to be original um we want to maybe not at launch but you know introduce a bunch of new game modes that haven't been done before in similar games so um when when you first when you first came up with the idea or when you first heard about the idea what was your reaction uh, did you immediately were you on board immediately well um Picker Tanks actually started off as an endless runner um, and it had a much smaller scope. And it was kind of heavily inspired by like vertical scrolling shooters from the, the 80s and 90s um, where you, you're you constantly upgrading during each round. And then if you die, you like go back to kind of upgrade level one or you knock off a couple of upgrade levels. But you just kind of you keep building up and building up until you're like super strong. Anyway. Um, we kind of took this to some of the platforms and they said, have you thought about multiplayer? Um, And so we did, and then we decided to make it a multiplayer game basically because um, we wanted to stand out amongst the literally hundreds of games that get on the store every week. And um, the harder the game is to make, the more you're going to stand out basically. So if you're doing multiplayer, I mean, people love multiplayer, but it's also harder to do. So there's less multiplayer games on the store. Um, yeah, whereas there's just endless, endless runners. I should have chosen a better word for that. <laughs> um, so how I've got a question. You, um, work to, oh, oh, go, go ahead, Sarah. I was going to say, how do you um, work to keep the game balanced as a multiplayer game? Because obviously, you know, balancing a single player is um, going to be a lot easier than balancing a multiplayer game. Um, it was really hard to start with initially because um, we're making a 3v3 game, but we didn't have six people in the office. Um, so I guess we started on a spreadsheet where you kind of figure out, you know, this versus this, how long is it going to take to kill that with this and stuff like that. We do our best at estimating what is going to be a balance for all the weapons and abilities, you know, how how fast something is, how much armor something has, how quick are the projectiles, what the what is the range. Um, but then it, it just comes down to playtesting. 
like six of us will sit down in the office for an hour or two and just play, which is very time consuming, but we find it's the only way at this point because we don't have enough beta testers to get really solid feedback on 3v3 matches. Um, I mean, the beta testers are doing great. Um, We get a lot of feedback for the 1v1 matches that they have, but the game in its final state is going to be 3v3. So, um, yeah, we listen to them, but also um, do a lot of internal testing. We'll definitely put a link to the uh, Discord into the uh, episode description so people can join that beta. Um, So... When you when you start designing a tank, like where do you where do you start? Do you start do you start with weapons first or the platform first? Well, um, it guess it depends on what you want to achieve for the tank. Um, so if you want a tank that's good for diving behind enemy lines, you guess you want something quick. Um, but then you got to choose an appropriate weapon for that. Um, so in Pico tanks, the tank bases determine your handling, um, the speed, the armor, the energy charge rate, and the energy capacity. And the energy is what's used to deploy your abilities. So some of the abilities take three energy to deploy, and a tank might have a energy capacity of four. So you wait till it charges up to three or four, and then you can cast that ability. Um, so... You kind of, yeah, you just kind of decide what you want to do with that tank. And generally, I guess I would start with the base, add a weapon, a couple of abilities. Also, some of the light tank bases only take one ability slot or only have one ability slot, while the heavy tank bases have two or three. So you have to take that into consideration as well. Um, I just got a uh, question from uh, Just a Fat Yeti on Twitch. Um, they say, in addition to balancing, is there a form of matchmaking based on past performance? So um, that's actually what we've been working on and why the we haven't released a new beta for quite a while. Um, we've just added um, grouping up and matchmaking so you can team up with friends. And then the next step for us is kind of what, what we're going to call your battle rank, um, which is like your your score. Uh, SR in other games um, will basically be your kind of like a win-loss ratio. You earn points for winning, you lose points or you lose battle rank for losing. Um, and that's how we'll match players against each other. Cool. So how long has the game been in production so, for? Um, we've been working on it for over a couple of years now. Um, it just started off as me originally and my partner, Alicia, and slowly we've grown to three programmers, one artist, one digital marketing manager, um, studio manager, and we have a part-time UI guy and a part-time audio guy. Cool. Um, so uh, thanks for watching Pixel Sift. Uh, if you've just joined us on one of our live platforms, we're talking to Paul Jakovich about his game Pico Tanks. Uh, so, so you started off as um, one as a as a lone developer when. When do you when do you know that you need to kind of get more people on board? Um, that's a tough one. I guess at the point where it was just me um, doing the development and Alicia was just kind of doing the business side, um, I was just kind of you know working through prototypes, uh, trying to figure out what was fun just experimenting with different control mechanics for mobile um, for the games that we wanted to do and 
And I guess once I'd kind of figured out what we wanted to do, you know, I brought on someone who I'd previously worked with for years. So, you know, I trusted his opinion. Um, and so then it was just me and him for a while. And then, yeah, then we got an artist and yeah, it's just slowly built up. What was the biggest challenge that your studio or yourself experienced when trying to develop Pico Tanks? Like as a, as a mobile apart, game, especially. Yeah, I mean, apart from the obvious, as an indie game studio, always um, struggling with money. Um, I guess making it multiplayer was one of the hardest parts um, because there is there is options to make your game multiplayer, but um, they don't always fit what you're trying to do um, or they're very expensive. So, yeah, definitely making multiplayer, making it multiplayer has been one of the most arduous tasks. Um, so we were... We were discussing your so how you got started, and um, so how, how does your background in three D animation um, kind of help you as a game developer? Um, it's a tricky one. I mean, when I started as a game developer, I started with another artist, and he was like, "I can't program," so I became the programmer, and he was the only artist, um, and that. That's that role is kind of stuck for me, and I guess having that background gives me a better understanding of the whole pipeline. Um, I guess it also gives me um, a better eye for you know good visuals because I did it for ten years. Um, but and I yeah, I, that's probably the main th- couple of things. Uh, so who? Who is the ideal player for Pico Tanks? Like who who do you, who do you see playing the game? Well, I mean, we want everybody playing the game. Um, so that's a tough question. I, I mean, we're designing it so you can just pick it up and play it for a few minutes at a time. You don't need to spend hours at it. Um, and the the way the games will be matched, you know, you'll be matched with people of similar skill. So it's it's not necessarily whether you have hours to play or 20 minutes a day. Um, I mean, ideally, do you, we want people who, uh, you know, want to play team games because that's, that's what works best and that's what will give all the players the best experience. Um, but I don't know if it necessarily appeals to a specific demographic. I mean, that's one of the things we tried to do with Pico Tanks is give it broad appeal by making it, very approachable, easy to control, visually simple, um, but still very appealing. Um, while we were talking earlier, you mentioned that you took the game overseas. Um, how did overseas audiences uh, react to the game? So we've taken it to Germany, UK, and America. Um, it was, I guess, uh best received in America where we went to South by Southwest and demoed the game and we won an award for um, Gamers Voice Award. So basically the people who attended the event voted on their favorite indie game and we got the most votes. So that was very exciting. But yeah, definitely South by Southwest. How did it feel to get that award? Did you Was it like big celebration? Um. It was quite strange, actually. Um, 
we weren't really told any like any information when sorry steam is just popping up in front of me for some reason <laughs> um we weren't really told much information so we went to the awards night we didn't know whether we won or not i don't think anyone knew and we just like sat down the back um and then we were we were like oh maybe we should be up at the front in case we win otherwise it's like a a minute walk up to the front of the <laughs> venue anyway um we moved up the front and then it was it was a, de- a genuine shock i mean we were always hopeful that we'd win but it, yeah we were genuinely shocked and ecstatic because i don't know i can't remember the last time i walked up on a stage uh, we all walked up on stage the whole team and accepted the award but yeah i can't remember the last time i've done that or ever so that was yeah very exciting for the team did that uh did that push a new wave of creativity after you won that award um i don't know about that i mean it gave us a boost of confidence to see that you know from all the people who attended south by southwest people liked our game the most um yeah it does seem like that award means a little bit more than let's say like a judges panel or anything like that is it like it like the the people the attendees chose it not not some kind of panel that you've never met or that you're not sure of the credentials of yeah i totally agree um people loved it uh i just I, th- I think it also works very well in the expo scenario because people are usually walking around with their friends and they love to play multiplayer games against their friends so i guess that put it as put at put us at a bit of an advantage but yeah nice <laughs> sarah have you got, got anything to add I mean, mainly just how how did it feel for you and the team to kind of get that recognition and how has the entire journey felt for you to kind of have like such a successful mobile game especially and to really stand out amongst all the others, as you said, on the App Store? Um, well, I mean, I don't know if we're hugely successful yet. We've won an award. Um, we've applied for a few, but... <sighs> I mean, I guess we just strive to have fun in what we do. Um, We create a fun workplace where, you know, everything's pretty relaxed, maybe too relaxed. Um, You know, we may have had the game out six months earlier if um, we wasn't such a relaxed workplace, but then it wouldn't be as much fun. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's good to have the recognition. and we just we just love what we do, so I guess yeah, it just it's validating, I guess. Is your is your relaxed work environment is that organic or is that something you actively try and uh, foster? Definitely try and foster. Um, I mean, we just want everyone to be comfortable. We want everyone to be, you know, fed. So we we always have snacks and stuff in the office, and we try and buy fresh fruit as often as possible. Um, we try not to have it too rigid, like people kind of know what they have to do and just just get it done. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm a pretty chill boss compared to my previous bosses. Um, but, yeah, I guess our, our staff would be the best people to ask about that. <laughs> All right, maybe we'll get, we'll get one of them on and then we can assess you as a boss. <laughs> um, okay, well... 
Um, that's pretty much all we got time for today. Um, before you, uh, before we sign off, Paul, um, where would be the best place to find out more information about PicoTanks? I guess the easiest place to start would be picotanks.com. And from there, you can head to our Discord or YouTube or Twitter or LinkedIn. Sorry, yeah, LinkedIn or Instagram. Yeah, pretty much everything from picotanks.com. Excellent. Uh, so uh, thank you for joining us uh, for another episode of Pixel Sift. And thank you very much, Paul, for joining us and talking and telling us more about PicoTanks. Thank you, Mitch. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, this episode has been hosted by myself and Sarah. Thanks for joining me tonight, Sarah. Uh, thanks for having me, Mitch. And Pixel Sift is produced by Scott Quigg, Sarah Island, Fiona Bartholomeus, myself, Gianni G. Giovanni, and and is our Johnny G. Giovanni is our executive producer. Uh, we wouldn't be able to make 127 episodes of Pixel Sift if we didn't have the support of Murdoch University, so go check them out and tell them we sent you. And if you're keen to learn more about a creative degree at Murdoch, at, you can visit... Well, if you're keen to learn more about a creative degree, you can head to murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. Uh, so as always, we'll be sticking the links to the topics and everything we talk about in the show notes of the website, pixelsift.com.au. And um, so, Sarah, uh, where can people join us to come talk to us? So the best place to do that would be to join our Discord because we'd love to have you there. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord. You share your creative work. You can talk about the topics, what games you're playing. Ask me to play a game with you. Maybe you will. You just don't know. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord. We'd love to see you there. And if you like what we do, please tell a friend. We don't pay to advertise. We really rely on word of mouth and for people to find our show. So if you like us, just send them to all your Facebook friends. Email all your work colleagues spread the word we definitely appreciate it and if you're watching on twitch uh please give the channel a follow and then you can find out more about our episodes as they come out uh speaking of the next episode the next one will be on the 8th of august so if you join us this but if you join us this time next week we'll be playing an australian indie game of some sort uh so that's all for this week thank you very much paul for joining us thank you and thank you very much sarah for joining me uh we will catch you all later be safe if you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 